your Van Seas Weekly, the home for info and insight on the Vancouver Canadians and all Toronto Blue Jays minor league prospects. Hosted by Greg Ballack and Charlie Caskey. It's the return of the Or Van Seas podcast, episode 22. Greg Ballack here alongside Charlie Caskey. And it's been a while. Again, we, we've sort of been putting off doing another podcast, but uh, with the way things are going with the Blue Jays, I guess uh, it's never too late to, to chime in and offer our opinions on what's going on because it's been pretty exciting. Well, yeah, the Your Van Seas weekly uh, moniker might have to be uh, <laughs> retired for good. Uh, it's been a tough summer. Uh, well, you were off the continent. I was off the continent, then away here and there, and kids and this and that. So no excuse. We should have uh, we should have knocked out at least one. I was down in Seattle, of course, for the uh, the Jays series. Yeah. So I'm sure we could have, but could have, would have, should have, as you said. We could have done one live on location. Yeah. Maybe not live. But you guys went down, didn't you? We went down for the first one, and yeah. they lost. Because they, they always well, lose. Well, yeah, that was against... <laughs> What's his name? Um, the only time I've gone to all three in Seattle, they got swept in all three games. That was when Snyder and Thames got traded, and it was a, it was a disaster trip. So that's never going to happen again. But uh, we always go to at least one. This was a really fun trip. Yeah, it was a fun weekend. Um, aside from time. the Friday night game, which the one you saw yeah. wasn't <laughs> the greatest. Saturday, of course, was was tons of fun. They won, and then even though they lost the the Sunday game in extra innings to a home run for. Some ridiculously bad Mariners player that his whose name eludes me right now. Sucre, was it Sucre? He hit his he hit his first career homer. No, but that wasn't the one. The guy had hit four or five yeah. to win it in the eleventh. It was still a fun game to watch. It was Gutierrez. back and forth. Gutierrez, that's it. Yeah. Um, uh, great catch in left field there by Ezekiel. Um, yep. And then of course he had the day on Saturday with the home run. Yeah. Um, Fun weekend, and then of course, you know, we come back, you're a bit tired, obviously, maybe a little bit hungover, a bit <laughs> down. The Jays have lost two of three to a team that they really shouldn't lose two to three of. And uh, that evening, all of a sudden, too low. And uh, yeah, since, Everything we've, changed. since we've done a podcast, <laughs> there has been some happenings in, in the land of Toronto. Just a bit. I yeah. Mean, <laughs> uh, it, it can't, I can't even explain what happened? I mean, like everyone knows the the trades, but it's just in my lifetime following the Blue Jays, there has never been a stretch of one or two months like the last mo- one or two months is gone. And you know they set the records last month with you know the best month in franchise history and Encarnacion yeah, well, one win away from tying the best best month in the best MLB sorry best history. August. Well, no, uh, best uh, month wasn't it? If they'd if they'd won that game on the thirty first, they would have had twenty one, which would tied with Oakland, I believe, for the best month in Major League history. Wow, I didn't know that. So yeah, I mean, it was it was incredible, and I like how you say in, in you know since you've started watching them, and you always kind of slide in the fact that you're in your twenties. <laughs> well, I was alive for the World Series championships, but I don't recall it. I was two years old last time they they won it. And it's just been incredible. I've never, I've, I'm a nervous wreck, and it's just the start of September now. So I can't imagine what it's going to be like if, you know, hopefully they continue going the way they're going. It is, all the signs are pointing to that they're going to be playing playoff baseball. I don't want to jinx it just yet, but I don't know how I'm going to react <laughs> when that happens. And that's kind of, that's the scary thing for me because it's, you know, I'm a hockey guy and a baseball guy. But I'm more of a, for hockey, I, I cheer for everyone. I, I just love the sport. Baseball, I am fully invested in the Blue Jays, and I've never experienced playoff-type feelings before 
in my Blue Jays watching life, uh, so mm. to speak. So I don't know how I'm going to react. It's, it's going to be interesting, and I feel like I'm going to be a nervous wreck for a solid month if they keep going the way they're going. Uh, you were alive, I guess, during the, the World I Series. Was so a, what was it like? Alive? I was in university, for Christ's <laughs> sakes. I remember exactly where I was for both World Series wins. Okay, so you can offer a pretty good idea what it was like, because I have was, no idea. It was fun. I was actually at a uh, my first year of university. I, I, I pledged a fraternity. I didn't end up getting into it. Um, I, I backed out. Um, but we had a formal the night of Game 6 in Atlanta when Nixon bunted. And uh, Timlin threw it to, to Joe Carter yeah. at first, of course, and we were in this bar. And, of course, it was a formal. Like We were all in, in suits and tuxedos, <laughs> and all of our dates were dressed to the nines in, in formal dresses, and we just ignored them. All these girls were in the ball dancing, you know, amongst themselves, basically. The entire bar, which was outside, mm-hmm was full of uh full of us and yeah, it was quite funny we we didn't treat that bar with the utmost respect <laughs> once the uh the final out was made you know you you want the girl that's in there in the bar watching with you anyway so don't worry about the girls that were still dancing in the yes in the ball just like people who go to the gym who say you want the girl that's in the squat rack um <laughs> yeah it's i don't remember any girls being some of them might have been in there but they were giving us the stink eye <laughs> there was no having fun cheering for the Blue Jays. If you can get the squat rack girl and the Blue Jays watching girl, then you're, that's it. S- sorry, Becky, yes. you're done. <laughs> Speaking of which, my <laughs> wife, who's English, has no idea what this is all about. So she just does not get the fact that my entire day revolves around 4.07, um, 10.07, our time on weekends, when they're in Toronto at least. Um, which is the start of all the Blue Jays games, of course. Uh, home, home games on the weekend, yeah, and then 4.07 for us during the week. Um, when they're out east, at least. Because if there's any eastern listeners, then they have yeah. no idea what we're talking about. But yes, exactly. 4.07 is when we have to pay attention. So we, uh, and it's, for me, it's always, I know it's summertime, so it's easier. But it kind of, you're always wrestling with yourself, like, oh, 5 o'clock mm-hmm. is beer time, 4.07 is game time. What yeah. do I do? Do I wait the 53 minutes, <laughs> or do I break the rule each and every night? Yeah. Um, well, so, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite the internal debate, and it's fun. Mm-hmm. Well, as a guy that grew up in Ontario, I, you know, so accustomed to the seven o'clock start times, I personally, I would rather have it start at seven, but you know, now it's kind of eating into my work day. I'm usually at work. Luckily I have a job where I can throw the game on while I'm working, but it's kind of sucks. Cause I, you know, when I have to commute home, then it's, I miss an inning or so because I have to get in the car. I have to listen to it on the radio or whatever. But most of the time I just, the way the last month is going, I've just been staying at work and watching the rest of the game at work because it's so exciting and I don't want to leave and miss any part of the game. So It's funny, actually. I was listening to the radio on the way out here to uh, to meet you and you actually get to listen to their walk-up music on yeah. the radio, which is kind of strange. I don't know if it, they just don't show it on TV or if I never pay attention. I'm not sure. But Jerry always pauses. Jerry Howarth always leaves a little bit so you can right, hear the so you announcement. Hear and, the announcement of the walk-up yeah, yeah. music. So you kind of like... I oh, dig it. Really? I like That's it. That's what he uses? <laughs> like, Smoke just has people clapping. I, I assume it's the intro to uh, Put Me in Coach, the center field, the Fogarty right, song. Right, right, right. But it's just the clapping bit. They didn't pick a very good spot of the song to, no. to do. I don't know. But this is a podcast about the Vancouver Canadians and Toronto Blue Jays, not about their music choices. <laughs> hey, we, hey, we know to go off topic every once in a while. We're known to, didn't, to do I that. I think Gunnar so. Height... The uh, Vancouver Canadiens legend here. <laughs> was it him or one of the other guys changed to Shania Twain's um, 
Uh, man, I feel like a woman. Man, I feel like I, a woman. I know and the he story, hit a, though. He hit a home run with, uh, with his first A-B and then hit a single. And he, I mean, obviously, he'd been struggling. He was hitting, like, all the C's hitters. He was hitting 212 <laughs> or something like that. He had two hits in his first two A-Bs with, man, I feel like a woman. I know the story behind that, though. Apparently, it's a rookie sort of hazing thing that they're doing where the, the veterans are picking the songs for the uh, younger players. Which oh, is because okay. there was another guy. It wasn't Gunner Height then, because he's a second year guy. Is he so, a second? Yeah, maybe. So yeah, maybe I don't think it was, was Gunner Height. Maybe it was, it was someone else. It was one of the other guys. And then uh, another guy was using the the opera song from. That's, that's Connor Panis. I know from the used... end of um, Step Brothers, the, the Catalina wine mixer. He uh, uses the song that Will Ferrell sings. I think it's actually the Will Ferrell version. The version the Will, that they well, play. It's the only this. version, really, yeah. at the end of the day, isn't it? <laughs> Andrea Bocelli. Who's yeah. that guy, right? <laughs> Screw him. <laughs> Um, but I, I heard it in the stadium. I was like, what? why is he using opera as his walk-up song? But then I, somebody said, no, it's, they said it was a, a rookie hazing thing. Because then I'm like, okay, that's why a guy's using Taylor Swift and a guy's using, um, man, I feel like a woman. Because that makes a little more sense if they didn't actually pick it. <laughs> but didn't, um, oh, shoot, you know me and names. Jeez, this is just terrible. Who's the catcher that the Jays got in the Vernon Wells trade and immediately traded to uh, Texas? Oh, Mike Napoli. Napoli. Didn't yes. he, when he was his first, he's back in Texas now, but his first tour of duty, didn't he give the walk-up songs for one game over to the, the Fox sideline reporter? And she <laughs> nailed him. She had like, man, I'm, t- I'm too sexy. And it, it, was, it was quite funny. Well, it was Josh Reddick. What did he have? He had um, the saxophone, um, Careless Whisper. That was his <laughs> walk-up song for last year. I don't know if he's still using it, but that was a good one. I like that one a lot. Walk-up songs. <laughs> it's, they probably put a lot of thought into it. I shouldn't dismiss it out of hand like that. Obviously, there is thought. There's some rookie hazing, not just the backpacks, the uh, the door, the Explorer backpacks, yep. but but walk-up songs as well. Um, and Every guy's team got bonding. their own. We could we could talk about the team bonding narrative 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 <laughs> for the rest of this podcast. I don't we think I've ever heard a walk-up song that I've actually of like a band that I like though. I don't. It's always like a country song, like Colby Rasmus, you know. Some, yeah. some grimy country song or, or or just your typical, you know, top 40. That's the only thing I've ever heard people use or, or some rap song or something. That's yeah, I it. can't think of one. Or the one Dominican that... guys will use a Latino song. Jose Ray has used his own song, I think, for, but, for a while. If you're going to be a recording <laughs> artist as well, you have to get it out there. Yeah. Hey, speaking of Jose Reyes, I haven't really touched on him since he, he was let go to the Rockies for Tulowitzki. And I read an article a little while ago saying he wasn't, too pleased about that move. You know, he's at a point in his career where he wants to win, and he only has so much time left to do it. Um, yeah, it must be a bit of a kick in the nuts, you know. But it's yeah. it's baseball, isn't it? It's professional sports. These things happen. But for him to get traded from a team that immediately goes on, you know, what are they thirty? You know, with the win tonight, thirty-one and eleven since the All Star break. Yeah. Um. So I wonder if he kind of thinks like, hmm. I may have had something to do with the. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of like when you not. break up with a girl and all of a sudden she becomes, she starts playing for the other team. It's like, well, hang on a second. Was that my fault? <laughs> Why? Um, have you had that happen? I've never. No, no, but that. I'm sure it, it has happened. And, <laughs> and guys have thought to themselves, like, oh, really? Yeah. That's what I've done? I've turned you? Um, so, yeah, apparently he's not that happy. I don't really give a shit because I'm really happy, even though Tulowitzki hasn't really hit all that much with the Blue okay. Jays. He's been okay, he's, and he's been getting on base. So the last time I saw, he had a couple of hits tonight, so his OBP obviously would have gone up, but mm-hmm. it was like, it was right around 328. Um, and when yeah. he was hitting the leadoff spot, he was getting on base and scoring runs. Yeah. Um, 
you know, his defense has been second to none, yeah. which is obviously something that, that Reyes wasn't bringing to the plate. And it's just a different dynamic, I think, to that lineup. I personally, you know, him leading off, I think everyone says it's the way to go. And, and you know, Revere, when he gets hot and he's he's hard to get out when he's in, in one of those roles, which he was just, he's just coming out of the end of one right now. Uh, you know, he could be used as a leadoff guy, but man, when they were going for those two weeks there with Tulowitzki in the leadoff spot, and then you go down the list, and it's like, okay, if he gets on, you can't pitch around anyone. <laughs> no. You can see they show the pitchers, and they're just they're they're thinking. You can tell they're thinking of what, what they're going to do because they don't want to throw that pitch that they know they're going to have to throw to get a strike, and it's going to be crushed. And it's just a weird dynamic that I've never seen. I've never watched or cheered for a team that's had that in their lineup before. And with Tulowitzki yeah. instead of Reyes, that's what you get. I think I think there's a, a fair to to good chance that Tulo's back in the leadoff spot before the season's mm-hmm. out. Um, I hope so. I think you know whether it was right what he said. You know he wants to get Tulo going. He wants to. I don't get you know I don't get it. What I think I heard Zahn talking about it like oh you got to run in and if you're on the road no sorry on the road obviously you lead off the game but if you're at home you got to run in and get your stuff. I mean they take forever between innings yeah. in Major League Baseball. They got time to go take a dump. I mean, so <laughs> and, and, and case speaking, to check your phone and go on Instagram. Yeah, but. you're only leading off the one-time game, and and how many <laughs> situations, you know, he wasn't successful in that Miller at bat. But how many situations was Tulu coming up yeah. at the end of the game because he was in the leadoff spot, getting that extra AB, yeah. and that's what you want to see. Yeah, sure. Revere through those nine games was hitting over 500, and he had a couple more hits today. And I know they want to move him around because. I think they realized if he's hitting in the nine hole and he's getting on base, mm-hmm. he's afraid to run because you got all those guys behind him. Yeah. And, f- and fair enough, you wouldn't want him to run. No. But they brought him in to inject a bit of speed, so I think moving him to seventh was, was smart. And then, yeah. you know, I mean, if you're winning, who cares? You can <laughs> go via jersey order, one through 12, like you used to <laughs> when you were a kid. You know, they're yeah. going to win with this lineup. Um, well, I think with Tula one, you're right. There were multiple situations where he came up where it was like, okay, you know, you got Pilar out. Now here's Tulowitzki and the rest of the guys that you have to go through with one out. Yeah. Good luck with two runners on base of, of not scoring one of those guys. Like it's just when you have Tulo at the top, it's he's just a such a much bigger threat, I think. It's just the way they pitch to him is a little bit different. Because they know Revere at most he's gonna slap a double into the corner or or, or triple at worst. So, yeah, he doesn't really hit for a lot of power, no. does he? That's he, not uh, his fault. It's no. just the pl- type of player that he is. Yeah. But it's, you know, to Lewitsky, it's like, okay, if I leave if I leave something over the middle of the plate, he's probably going to hit it out, and I can't do that. And if I pitch around him, if I start pecking away, end up walking him, now I have Donaldson to deal with. Now I have Batista to deal with. Now I have Encarnacion to deal with. And it's just, I don't know, it's hard to explain. I've Like I said, I've never watched a team like this before, and it's it's incredible. Yeah, my I was texted my mom um who's not a huge baseball fan but she's more than my wife um and she would text me after the weekend it's like are all these home runs getting boring no how could that be boring after years of what yeah. we've been through yeah it's just incredible <laughs> the, the offense is absolutely incredible and you know the pitchers are getting a bit short shrift now considering how well they've thrown the ball right. since the all-star break i mean dicky how many pitches tonight 90, upper 80s, low 90s. Is it officially a Maddox that he threw tonight? He's 83 Com- going into the ninth. Complete game, four hitter. Um, really, three hits in the one inning, sandwiched around a, a double play to give up the one run. Other than that, he was he was basically unhittable. And he's, I know wins aren't the end all, but 7-0 since the All-Star. Um, 
Well, he's we, your, we can he's look at all the four starter. <laughs> well, that's the thing, and we'll get into this a bit more. We're uh, we're hoping Jesse Goldberg Strassler, the uh, the voice of the Lansing Lugnuts, will call us at some point. So we may have to break off to talk to him. But obviously, tonight was the night that Marcus Stroman made his return. He's obviously been throwing off the mound mm-hmm. and throwing some sim games down in Florida, but against live hitters, and it was pretty spectacular. Um, it's it is a ball. Yeah. But he's got one more start for uh, for the Bisons, and then he's gonna be back with the team. So what? Yeah, what do you do? And I mean, I read, I want to say it was John Lott with the National Post saying that he he thinks they'll leave Hutchinson off the twenty five man roster. But given how well he's pitched his last three or four starts, if he were to do the same thing over the next three or four, how do you leave him off the roster? You know, so who is your your one through two? Obviously, Price. We put him in the in the one hole oh, going into locked. the playoffs. Locked. Then what do you do? Burley is apparently not scuffling. He's pitched okay, but his arm's hanging a bit. You know, they're going to have to try and get him some rest. Maybe mm-hmm. that's what Stroman ends up doing mid, mid-month. Um, but then if Stroman pitches well, what do you do? He is the second-best pitcher on the staff, without a shadow of a doubt. We don't know that right now because mm-hmm. he's coming back from, from this injury. But what if, what if he pitches well, what do you do? you got Price, you got Stroman, then Hutchinson's throwing well. I mean, yeah. You're going with a three-man rotation, probably a fourth if you need him. So yeah. the fourth is potentially going to be either Burley or, or Dickey, which is a, it's a fantastic problem to have. So, yeah. you know, I'm not complaining about it. I think it's, it's, it's fabulous. I think what Anthopolis has done, I, there was a local, uh, on, the, on the local sports radio show, one of the, uh, the guys was pundits who doesn't know Dick about baseball, so I shouldn't <laughs> bring it up, but was saying that, you know, They've completely screwed this up because it's winter bust this year. They've traded all their pitching prospects away, and next year they're not going to have anything. And what? That's quite short sighted to look at it because obviously with Stroman Sanchez coming back, and Stroman are Sanchez and two front the rotation prospects, Asuna, right? <laughs> and then a bunch of money coming off potentially in Burley in a pretty rich free agent pitching market. So, yeah, they're wow. set up for a while. They're set up this year, and and like. I hate to admit with him or agree with him. Zahn said at the beginning of, of we shouldn't be calling this, you know, meaningful games in September. These are games where it's all about jockeying for position with New York. They're going to make the playoffs one way or the other. You know, obviously we hope they win the AL East, but I think it's going to come down to the seven games that they play against New York. Because mm-hmm. New York's, New York's, you look at them, I was thinking about it on the way over here. If we were to do Mano v. Mano at every position, New York's going to come out ahead in a, in a fair few, even given the offense, mm-hmm. the firepower that the Jays have. So it's it, it's going to be. I still think the Jays are going to win it, but I think it's going to be close. But when their when their top starters, you know, Tanaka and Yovaldi, are they really going to be able to compete in a one game against David Price and Marcus Stroman? And oh, looks like we're getting a call. Could be Jesse Goldberg Strassler from the Lansing Lugnuts. Hey Jesse, thanks a lot for coming on. Well, hey, why not? It's been a probably yeah, pretty I fun night. I already brought eh? two on the, around the nest. Now I, your Van sees, my man. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll start with with Stroman. We we have some audio from him that we'll play after we're, we're done talking to you, Jesse. Tell us what you saw. We've all seen the reports on Twitter. We've we've seen the comments about how he just was dominant. What did you see from the the broadcast booth? Yeah, he was pretty good, right? <laughs> um, four and two thirds innings, seven Ks. The slider was just filthy. He was throwing the changeup early and often. Marcus Stroman looked great. 
It's his first time at the mound since, well, last September in a professional game, but mm-hmm. March the 10th, he tore up his knee. And coming back, and coming back and looking like this, uh, this exceeds expectations. This was great. This was a blast to watch. The Great Lakes Loons, if this game had kept on going and Marcus Stroman had stayed in the game, they were not going to make solid contact against his stuff. I've always found, like, sitting up in the press box like, like you would be, it's, it's tough to see the depth of the slider, but were you just looking, were the hitters just not, you know, they had no idea it was coming, just waving at it? Like, how, how, did you, how did you know the slider was so nasty? Well, so sitting above uh, that elevated home plate view in the Lansing Lugnuts, the Cooley Law School Stadium press box, you can see the bend on it. You can see the lateral movement. Okay. You can also see the batter's bail. Yeah. <laughs> you can see the pitch stone right at the guy's left hip, the right-handed batter, and he gets out of dodge, and it comes whipping right on back to the inside corner. He could have thrown nothing but sliders, and they would have done nothing with it. <laughs> and, I mean, it must have been a thrill for, um, I, I, th- I haven't even looked at the box score, but I think he mentioned in the postgame that Danny Jansen was behind the plate. So you got a 19-year-old kid, you know, making his way up. To be to be calling a game from a guy who's got admittedly on his own six pitches, you know. You talk to Jim Sykowski and his cutter and his slider are pretty similar. So whether they're six, you know, fully different ones, we don't know. But I mean, has anyone spoken to him after the game to get his thoughts? I haven't talked to Danny yet. I intend to talk with him tomorrow. Danny's a very soft-spoken, quiet, straightforward kid. What I would compare it to is think about think about if the situation was reversed. Think about if we have ourselves a major league catcher here and a youngster out there on the mound. The two of them are working in concert. You talk before the game. You say, what do I want? You say, execute, and here we go. They develop the plan. What I really enjoyed is the fact that Marcus looks in and Danny is calling pitches that Marcus wants to throw. doesn't have to shake him off. The fact that Danny is in Marcus's head. Mm. Danny Jansen is a heck of a defensive catcher. When he was injured in the first half, I had a lot of folks tell me quietly, hey, this is really going to affect us negatively because we've got nobody who can be Danny Jansen. Mm-hmm. And when he was ready to come back, there were guys walking around with smiles saying, you watch, Danny Jansen is going to make this team better. That's what he does. He just has this feel as a catcher. He settles the pitcher in, makes the pitcher feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he was getting Stroman to throw pitches, helping Stroman out in establishing a rhythm, and he's 20. He's 20, and he's young, and he came up from Bluefield, and he missed some months of the season to worry about how his development is going. Danny Jansen is going to be a heck of a catcher down the road. Well, we hope so, because it's pretty thin above him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned that it's, it's interesting having that you know, younger guy behind the plate, and uh, you, know, you, you call Stroman almost like a veteran, but we forget that Stroman is still a kid as well. And just from hearing him talk and, and you know, seeing him in interviews, he seems like such a, a guy who's mature for his age. And did he really give that impression to you when you were talking to him after the game? Let me say yes and no. <laughs> so he's got that great youthful exuberance. One thing I loved about him is in the, pre- in the post-game presser, with him talking about, hey, developing the sinker, and suddenly out of nowhere, I've got my best pitch. I think Marcus Stroman, with those six pitches, is still going to figure out what kind of pitcher he is. And this entire end of the season is going to be terrific. Stroman, still a work in progress. This isn't Mark Burley, who right now we know exactly what Burley is. <laughs> Marcus Stroman has a high ceiling. 
he's going to keep on working with different pitches, keep on throwing things out and adding new things in. What wrinkles? What can he do in his windup? What more can he do to hold runners on? He's still learning. So, yes, vaulting up to the major leagues, working in the bullpen, Vancouver to New Hampshire, and a full season starting in New Hampshire, and Buffalo to Toronto. We would love to see him as an established star, but I think in just hearing him say how much he's learning about himself, that lets you know he realizes he hasn't established himself. He's not what he's going to become, and that is exciting. Yeah, it was a pretty amazing story. He was just lying on his couch last year, messing around with the baseball, wasn't he, when he came up with that sinker grip, and then all of a sudden he's throwing the ground balls for fun. So, like you say, you know, we maybe can't expect something like that, another epiphany to, to happen. All of a sudden he's got a screwball or something, but it, he is a development. Um, Greg and I were just talking, actually, about where, you know, if he continues to throw well, where does he slot in with the Blue Jays and, and potentially the playoffs? But it's a great problem to have, you know. I think, to my mind, anytime it's ever asked about how will a player fit in, I simply say, if the player excels, don't worry. Because if they're excelling, that means they're excelling however you're using them. They're excelling in the bullpen or in the rotation or in defense or in pinch hitting spots. And it's great to be able to have that weapon that you go, we need to use this guy more. But if that guy is doing great, I'd much more be worried about a player who says, the way that I'm working, it's causing me to be terrible, causing me to be ineffective. If only they'd find a way that would use me that I'd be effective. No. I mean, the guy who just goes out there and does his job, that's the guy I love. Isn't that a great problem to have to say, hey, we're adding one of the best young arms in the major leagues. We'll figure out which inning to use them to get better down. <laughs> exactly. Well, I think a lot of people they like to talk about maximizing that potential, but I, it's the same thing we were talking earlier about the addition of Troy Tulowitzki and where to put him in the lineup. It really doesn't matter as long as at the end of the day your team keeps winning the game. And I, you know, it's sort of a cliche to say, but you know, really at the end of the day, all that really matters is that everyone is hitting well and it doesn't really, really matter where in the lineup they hit if they're all hitting well. And same goes for pitchers. I do... I do think it helps when you say, what is this guy's past track record? Where can he best help us? If you're sculpting out a lineup and you've got somebody fast who gets on base, you've got somebody strong who knocks and runs, you kind of want to put the first guy in front of the second guy. Yeah. <laughs> I do think that it's important to simply say, what is this guy's skill set? How can he help us win? Mm-hmm. But when you've got a team like the Blue Jays do, with what a cast of characters, yeah. well, then I say, hey, um, mix and match and see what works, but right now all is coming up golden. You have so many options to work with. You really can't. It's it's hard to pick a bad option, I guess. <laughs> now, just well, bef- before we talk about sorry, go ahead. What I would compare this to, remember when the Tampa Bay Rays got good? And suddenly you realize yeah. the players who were good enough for the Devil Rays in the past weren't good enough for the Rays. So suddenly Scott Casimir was leaving because they had better guys coming up from the minor league. That's what the Blue Jays are doing. You raise the bar so much. What in the past would have been an asset, suddenly you realize, hey, we can improve upon this. We should not be satisfied with this. We can do better. That is awesome. Yeah. Well, and that's what the Tulewitzki trade was all about. I mean, Jose Reyes would have been perfectly serviceable as a shortstop for the rest of the season, but marginal upgrades, um, and it's probably not going to be marginal over the life of the contract, but for the rest of the season, it's marginal. Um, But still, it's an upgrade. And that's what, exactly what you said. Anthopoulos decided that he could get better. And, and why wouldn't you if you can? Well, hey, Tim. Uh, 
live in the present, right? And then <laughs> yeah. look forward to the future. Yeah, YOLO, as the kids say now. YOLO. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Although, with the YOLO, I mean, my gosh, we talk about the Blue Jays, and I just read another article saying the Blue Jays have to win now and beware yeah. about what's to come after this. Isn't it so much fun to win? Yeah. It's just great to win games. Well, and the whole point of being a fan, the whole point of being associated with the team, being a player, or being in the front office, is you want to win. Mm-hmm. So, hey, mission accomplished so far. There are bigger things ahead. Well, and Greg and I were discussing exactly that. I mean, our entire days revolve around 407 for us here on, in, on the Pacific, you know, on the coast, because that's when the Blue Jays games start. I literally look forward to it all day long. <laughs> so as a fan, there's nothing better. As a kid, the worst days in my mind were off days. Yeah, I know. Someone now, told me they were off tomorrow. Working what? In base- <laughs> <laughs> working in baseball, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I could use an off day. As a fan, oh, you mean no chance to pick up another win? <laughs> <laughs> now, before we, uh, we talk about the lugs a bit, and uh, the playoffs will, should be starting fairly soon. Now, am I right? I'm looking at the schedule here. This, your same opponent tonight is also going to be your, uh, your playoff opponent come, come next Wednesday. Yes, the Great Lakes Loons. The West League made a change in the offseason. What the MWL did was, instead of having the winner of the first half play the second-place team in the second half, second-place team first half play the winner of the second half, mm-hmm. they realized, hey, the first-half team is utterly changed come the second half of the season. We no longer have Chase DeYoung, Tim LaCastro, Anthony Alford, Roddy mm-hmm. Tellez, etc. We're playing with a different unit. So it's better for us to play the team that we battled with in the first half see which team now the second half outfit can triumph, and let the hot teams from the second half take on one another. Mm-hmm. What was oh, happening okay. was the two teams that made the playoffs in the second half would just demolish the first half teams. <laughs> which so is what the Vancouver did. We get did, the Great yeah. Lakes Yeah. <laughs> what was that, Joe? Which is exactly what Vancouver did in their three in their three NWL titles. You know, they won the second half each and every time. And and like you say, they came in; they were the hot team. There are positives and there are negatives to the half system. Yeah. I like it more than I dislike it, but I, I definitely do think that at the end of the season, it matters nothing how good you were in June. Let me tell you, if the championship series had been played on June 14th, the Lugnuts bombed their way to the title. Well, that's a great segue to what I wanted to ask you, because the team has changed incredibly. Um, and the feeling, you know, the inkling I had gotten from a couple of the promotions from Vancouver up to Lansing and then Richard Urenia coming from Dunedin back down, even though he hadn't played all that poorly in Dunedin, was that Lansing was going to try and get a bit young for this playoff series with Richard and, and Lane Thomas up the middle with Danny Jansen behind the plate, Clinton Halon, DJ Davis in center. Um, but it looks like there's been a few curveballs thrown into that. With We haven't seen Lane on the field for a while. Um, maybe you can you can enlighten us as, as to what the problem is. I haven't heard anything. And then, of course, we... Lane's dealing with a wrist injury. Okay. So he's he's been so, missing for about, what, 10 days now or so? Hey, he's on the shelf. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we wish him well. I talked to Kenny Graham, the Lugnuts hitting coach, and he loves Lane Thomas. August 24th, looking back on the Lugnuts transaction, August 24th, Lane Thomas was placed on the seven-day DL. There is a feeling that Lane Thomas down the road healthy with experience because they feel he's very raw. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They think that he's going to turn into a whale of a hitter. Yeah, you, you got the same impression speaking to the coaches here. You know, He looked good in Vancouver. 
I, when we saw him. He didn't look good for me because well, when I saw him. <laughs> <laughs> for me, when he wasn't when he wasn't getting base hits, he wasn't making very solid contact. He there was a lot of weak outs. His his batting average of balls in play was very low, and a lot of times you would say, "Oh, that's that's due to luck." But for him, he just wasn't making solid contact. And I spoke to the coaches, and and they agreed with me and said, "Look." He got into a bit of a hole early, um, and he was just trying to get out of it in one game. Mm-hmm. He was trying to hit every ball a mile. And But they said the well, same thing that, that the, the lugs hitting coaches say. The kid can hit. He, you, you know, it's just so a matter tough. of he's young, he's, he's raw, like you say. It's going gonna, it's gonna to turn around. It just hasn't been his year this year. I'd like to compare him to a pitcher who, let's say, throws 95 miles an hour, and you set up your mid, outside corner at the knees, and you say, hit this spot. And the guy does so. And then he tries again and he throws the ball high. Or he tries again and he throws it outside. I think Lane is going to be getting more consistent with his swing. I think this season, it was the inconsistency in simply barreling up a ball. You could throw him the same pitch in the same spot three successive times. And one time, he would just whack it out of sight. <laughs> the other two times, he would hit under it or hit over it. So I don't, I don't downgrade him for that. I think that's something that comes just like with the pitcher with consistency. Yeah, and, and so he's, if he's on the shelf, it sounds like um, for the season, you know, you got Jason Leblodijian. I always mess that name up, apologies. Leblodijian, <laughs> uh, I think. Um, you know, we had him here for a couple of years. He's bounced all around, hasn't he? He's been Dunedin, he's been Lansing, Vancouver. Um, I'm looking, Ryan McRoom was here last year. He's had a great season for the Lugs this year. You know, you're not short... On quality, it's just a far different roster than what you won the first half with. So, pitching wise, obviously, I think Clinton was was going to be a big part of it. I'm I I don't want you to have to get into what what he was what his suspension was for. We don't know. We heard of amphetamines. It probably mm-hmm. was a supplement. Um, so, how does the pitching rotation line up? I'm, I was looking at your rotation here on uh, or or who's pitched the bulk of the games here on Baseball Reference and. Obviously, most of them are gone. So, you know, you got Tom <laughs> Robson still around. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing he'll get a start, Starlin Serial. Um, but, uh, you know, Jesus Tinoco's gone. De Jong, like you said, Connor Green's in New Hampshire. Sean Reed Foley's in, in Dunedin. These are all the guys that have made the most starts for you. So who, who do you think gets the ball game one? I think we're going to start Marcus Stroman. <laughs> you wish. Orange. Convince him to hang around. <laughs> uh, no, and by the way, his shoe game was on point tonight. <laughs> no, uh, I think I think it's up in the air. Whether it's Chase Mallard or Justin Schaefer, whether it's Tom Robson, whether it's Starlin Suriel, whether it's Connor Fisk, I think it's open auditions. I don't think that there's any one guy who has distanced himself from the pack. And in that sense, it reminds me of the 2011 Lugnuts made it all the way to the Midwest League Championship Series. And they didn't really have a standout starter. I mean, Sean Nolan gave what he could, but he got hit in the back by a line drive, and that took him out of the postseason. So it's going to be a group of guys that will hope for the best from Chase Mallard. When he's been on, he's been quality. Darlin Zuriel, at his very best, he struck out 12 batters in the game. But you'd like to see that with consistency. Tom Robson has that great ceiling. His last start, he really struggled with finding the strike zone. I do not know. I would maybe favor Justin Schaefer at this point. But, hey, whoever we start in game one, it wouldn't surprise me at this point. There is nobody seizing that role. Hmm. 
Interesting. Yeah, it's uh, Justin Schaefer isn't a name I thought about, but yeah, yeah. He's, he's throwing the ball pretty well. Um, and like you said, if nobody's, you know, with all the names that have, have gone and, and nobody really grabbing the bull by the horns, it, it should be interesting. How many more games do you have left? Three? Four? So we played two more against the Great Lakes Loons, and then the Lugnuts head out on the road, a three-game series in Dayton to conclude the season. Hmm. Season ending next Monday, Tuesday off day, Wednesday playoff. Oh, it really would make things easier if you keep, could keep Stroman, but it uh, <laughs> doesn't look like that's going to happen. <laughs> Unfortunately. Well, hey, the Fort Wayne Gym Caps are just awesome right now. West Michigan's really strong, but in the short series, best two out of three first round, best mm. two out of three second round, three out of five championship. Who knows? Who knows? The if two Brian out of three McBroom is a killer. Fire, <laughs> yeah. yeah. The two, yeah. two out of three is always tough to predict. doesn't really... You can't really make a prediction based on the regular season either, and like you said, you know the, the rosters are so drastically different at this time of year compared to what you you probably saw earlier in the year. It'd be nice if you could yeah. have Anthony Alford in the lineup too, but that's not going to happen. So. Yes, but you know what? <laughs> I think it's good for these players to have that incentive. It is really good to see. Hey, if you excel, you will move up. Yeah. And I know we kept Ryan McBroom this entire year. That was just to ensure that we had the league MVP. That was it. Yeah. Um, no. Uh, <laughs> I think it's really good to say, hey, Connor Green up to double A. Sean Reed Foley, get that taste. Richard Arania, get that taste. Yeah. Other players. Christian Vasquez is shortly going to move. That's a really good thing to say, hey, we will promote you. We want you to win, but we also want you to see what other challenges lie in store. Mm-hmm. And so if you happen to lose the league title to a team like, say, Fort Wayne, the Tin Caps have had their players the entire year, have barely not moved up more than a couple of their standouts, you tip your cap to them. The bigger games are ahead. It's great that Vancouver's won three consecutive championships and lost in the championship series. And I joined the Lugnuts with three championship rings from the Southern League and from the Frontier League. But I think that Ryan McBroom would turn in the Midwest League championship ring for the major league experience down the road. And I think he's going to get there at some point. Roddy Telez ends the season on the DL, then he goes off to the Arizona Fall League. He moved on. If he had stayed there this entire year, Lugnuts might win the championship. But I think it's better for his personal path that he got that taste of Dunedin. So I see it both ways. Well, you want the guys to stay motivated, right? If you're not, if you if guys are stagnant and they're and they're staying, you know, albeit you know they could be winning, like you mentioned, but if they're staying in the same organization for too long, these guys get a little antsy, and and it is nice to motivate them and, and move them up and down. It's well, that up, carrot, but. like. <laughs> I guess down could be a motivator too, but not for some guys. <laughs> well, they understand what is asked of them. Yeah. And something that I think that is underrated or under-talked about is the fact that you know that there are guys at every level who are gunning for your spot, and then the draft occurs. Let's say, Greg, let's say you're shortstop, and you see, I just drafted three shortstops. One of them is a high school stud. The other two are polished college guys. Mm-hmm. Hey, defend your position. Guys feel the pressure. And if you go, think about Lane Thomas, as you said, pressing. Let's say you go for four with a couple of errors today. You're looking over your shoulder saying, oh, no, I'm in trouble. (laughs) There's a lot of pressure on these guys. And there's a game every single day to tire them out. Yeah, I was. Uh, I wanted to ask you. We'll we'll circle back to Richard Arena because with a lot of the guys that have moved on, he's he's one of the more interesting prospects still in Lansing. Um, hit his 14th home run tonight, which, if unless Trey Santos with um, the uh, a Padres affiliate, 
hit one as well. That ties him for second in the not. league. Fort Wayne lost one to nothing. No homers for you, Trey Santos. There you go. So they're both on 14, um, which is incredible, really, given that he was he was away from the team for a month as well. Um, but you look at Trey Santos, you look at Michael Gerber, who's got 13. You know, these guys have got 30 doubles, 31 doubles. Urena, it's interesting. He's actually got more home runs than than does doubles, which <laughs> Bobby Bradley, who's actually, I'm looking at the league stats right now, he's got 27 to 15, so it kind of blows my theory out of the water that Urena's the only one doing it. Um, it's, I mean, does he just, does you expect a guy with maybe gap-to-gap power, especially a shortstop, he's a, he's a slightly slighter guy, would hit a ton more doubles and, and then eventually run into one. What's been this power surge for, for Richard in, in the Midwest League? Because I, I think he may have hit one when he was in mm-hmm. the Florida State League. Um, yes. Uh, Urena entered the season with four career homers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. I mean, it's great. You know, you know, shortstop that by all accounts will stick it short. Um, to, but it just seems like such an anomaly. Is it, is it something that we can believe in? Yes. I'm going to say his power is definitely something you can believe in. His home runs are launched, and by and large, they're launched from the left side, and they're launched out to right field or right center. And they, by and large, are not cheap home runs. Um, I think what you'll hear with double hitters is that generally they go gap to gap. And Richard, with the exception of a series against Peoria in June that I loved, he's not really gone gap to gap. Instead, he's gone launching. I mean, just mm. launch. His home runs have that great arc to them. The pitcher tries to get the fastball in on the hands, and he turns on it and hits it out to the lawn. His home runs are legit. It's a great question about how come no doubles. Um, and here's a guy out homering Ryan McBroom. But, oh, by the way, Ryan McBroom is 39 doubles to lead the Midwest League. Yeah, exactly. But I'd like to see more from Richard Arena. And this is something that will come with experience and age and as he works. Because he is a very bright young man. He has a head on his shoulders. He knows exactly what he wants to do from the left side. And he's getting there from the right side. Is I want to see more from him, what he's done today and the past couple of days, which is the multi-hit game, which is he homers, and then the pitcher tries to work him outside, and he pokes a single to left, or he grounds one through the hole. Because Urania, when he has gone wrong, has had games where he goes one for five with a home run, and every single other at-bat he was swinging for the fences and got popped up or struck out. And Richard Urania can turn on it and hit the home run, and then when he can shorten up the swing and just take what the defense and the pitcher is giving him, that's when he gets great. The fact that he's 19 and he's of his stature and he is homering in what is maybe the second hardest ballpark to homer in the Midwest League. 14 homers for Arania. Eight of them have come at Corey Lawson Stadium, which is spacious. And he's hitting it out here. I'd say that speaks very well to his power future. Well, that's good to hear. Now, it's, it's getting a bit late on your side of the, uh, the continent, so we'll let you go. But one last question. We, like Greg mentioned, we were watching uh, Stroman's presser, which I think you set up. And there was a guy just over his right <laughs> shoulder that was wearing shorts. Now, this goes against everything uh, your press box standards stand for. So my question is, was he in the press box or was he barred? Well, what do you know about my press box standards? It's Call, a tight ship from what I've heard. Tight collared, uh, slacks. And I'm, I'm assuming shoes that go with it, not sneakers. Freshly groomed hair, from what <laughs> I've heard as well. Manicures. So, yeah. 
this all stems from just one moment where we had a guy come to cover us. And by the way, that guy was back tonight, and he's a great guy, Nick Slane, terrific writer. He covered us, and he was wearing a T-shirt. And I said, Nick, I want you at least in a collar. <laughs> and he showed up today, no collar once again. But that was how it all stemmed. I said, if you want to cover us, please look a little bit professional. <laughs> wear a collared shirt. I like shorts. As a matter of fact, I wear shorts throughout the summer because when I was broadcasting some Montgomery Biscuit, 2006 and 2007, I wore slacks the entire season. I'd worn slacks my entire time in baseball, and I fainted. It was a 115-degree heat index, <laughs> and, and I went down. I just, we were in a huge staff meeting, and I just walked, however, one block, two blocks from the parking lot, uh. and I'd skip breakfast, and I went down. And from that point on, the entire season, my blood sugar was off, I was overheated, and I just realized, you know what, if the weather is hot, wear shorts. <laughs> <laughs> so this was sweltering today. Today was at 91 degrees Fahrenheit. Wow. This was shorts weather. Um, I, I, but wear a collar. Don't yeah. come in here in a T-shirt. <laughs> no, he had a collar on, so there you go. Question, question answered. Yeah, we were a little worried when we saw him, but I guess this, that clears it up. <laughs> awesome. Thanks very much, Jesse. Thanks for taking the time. I know it's probably been a very busy day for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, good luck to... Uh, to the lugs come playoff time and, and obviously to yourselves and uh yeah we'll we'll be listening for sure hey charlie greg i really appreciate it you guys uh listening to the your Vancies podcast is how i spend my time doing game notes <laughs> well thanks very much we'll have to do more yeah well and hopefully you get more games to do those notes um yeah you know i really obviously we i'm a bit biased but i'm really pulling for tom robson i hope he uh he I know he had, like you said, he had five walks or something his last game, so hopefully he can turn things around and mm-hmm. put in a performance like he did for us in the playoffs a couple of years back. Well, hey, that's what I'm hoping for, man. That's well, exactly what I'm hoping for. And by the way, Jesse, I, th- I sent you a little tweet, but you were actually, I was listening to the Jays game on 590 Fan, which is the Toronto station, uh, and they actually played a clip of you calling Stroman tonight on the, uh, it was in the middle of an inning. They just, they threw to Wilner in the studio and he played a clip of you, so I just thought you should. No. You should Way. Yeah. There you go. No. Famous. Yeah, they played a clip clip of his first strikeout of the night, and it was, uh, I recognized that voice, and it was, uh, <laughs> so there you go. You know how scared I was calling this game tonight, <laughs> thinking about how many people are tuned in, and I'm going, if I blow anything, there goes my chance in the Major League 20 years down the road. <laughs> well, you got you sounded good on the clip they played, so that's, that's all that matters. Well, thank you guys very much. <laughs> all right, Jesse. Talk to you later. Awesome. Thanks, Jesse. Thank you. Have a good night. It's Jesse Goldberg-Strassler, the play-by-play voice of the Lansing Lugnuts. He was a guest that's been on the program before, and we always love hearing from him. And down on the uh, the other farm team for the Blue Jays, or one of the other farm teams, but uh, always good insight from Jesse. He's a fantastic fellow to talk to. Yeah, the Lugs are, you know, being the first full-season team, they always seem to get top-notch prospects. I mean, obviously next year it might be a bit different because there's none left. Um, and I say that well, jokingly, of course. Um, but you couple know, first in, rounders might be coming with Burley leaving, and in uh, <laughs> years past, that's an interesting question whether they're going to. Yeah, someone will sign them and give up that draft pick. But you know, in years past, when you had guys from Vancouver, and then you had the really good kids from Bluefield jump Vancouver, they were always stacked. So it's always a great team to uh, to keep up with and listen to. And Jesse does a great job.
we mentioned that we actually have audio from that post-game press conference that Jesse set up with Marcus Stroman. Um, so we might as well get to it now and play it and hear from Marcus himself about his his night and his uh, four innings, I guess he went. Four uh, and two-thirds. I think four and his, two-thirds. His pitch limit was meant to be 65, but he threw 69 or something like that. Yeah. So. And gave up zero hits, had the one runner get on base from an error, one runner get on base from a walk. But and from no by damage. all accounts, not Blue Jays fans, he was squeezed on that walk. There you go. We should have asked Jesse that, actually. <laughs> well, let's hear from Marcus Stroman right now. It's the post-game press conference they had with him after the game. Yeah, man, it's exciting. Um, just, uh, just to get back out there, man. Um, it's kind of all the hard work just accumulating to this point, and it's pretty special just to go out there at the five-month, a little after five-month uh, point, being out of surgery, and to go out there and, and feel like I did. It's pretty inspiring. I think uh, it's been nearly a calendar year since you actually pitched in a game. Um, how, did, how did that feel? It felt natural, man. It felt like I was home, you know what I mean? I felt very comfortable out there. Uh, all the work that we put in, you could tell their shows. I feel great. Um, all my pitches felt great. And just looking forward to getting the ball bucket. Um, dominating there and getting back to the big leagues. Of your pitches, what did you have the best feel for tonight? And what, what would you like to improve? Um, just improve everything overall. Fastball command a little bit. Um, as far as pitches, man, my changeup felt really good. Uh, cutter felt great, slider felt good, curveball felt good, um, sinker felt good. Uh, everything felt good, man. I'm, I'm right there. Looked like you used that changeup early in counts a lot. Was that by design? Or? Yeah, I've been working on that pitch a ton, man. All through this rehab process, and actually, I've been working on it with uh, Sal Fasan down um, when I was in Florida. So it's made pretty good gains, and I'm excited to use that pitch, especially left on left, right on right. Um, it's going to be a really positive pitch for me. How'd the, uh, the knee feel? So you cover first there, but to be yeah, okay. look, kind of look good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it felt good, man. Uh, I'm ready. I'm ready, man. I, I've been through a lot this summer, but everything was to be in this position I am today. In the first inning, it looked like you were pitching pretty quickly. The tempo was high. Yeah, it was a little am, man. Just antsy, just getting back out there for the first time, but a little more calm in the second inning, dialed it back a little bit. Um, but yeah, I felt like I was working very, very quick. I actually stepped off in the first. In the first, at one point, I was like. It was kind of like out of breath. I was like, I need to slow down a little bit here. I felt like I was working like early a little bit. <laughs> um, but everything overall, man, felt great. In the fourth, it looked like you really kind of hit your stride. You had three, probably had four strikeouts in the inning, really. How did it feel? Felt good, man. As the game progressed, I felt like I was commanding a lot better. Um, my stuff started to feel sharper as the game went on. So, uh, yeah, just a matter of getting all those pitches where they need to be. They're right there. Um, looking forward to Pawtucket to kind of finalize, finish up, and, and, and just make the pitches exactly where they need to be and get back to the big leagues, man. you feel you were able to uh, work all your pitches and the counts maybe that you wanted to tonight? Um, I know a lot of complaints that some major league rehab pitchers have at this level is that the, the hitters swing uh, awfully early in the counts, but mm -hmm. do, you, do you feel you were able to, uh, to work the way you wanted to? Yeah, it's still baseball, man. Um, I would never sit here and say, oh, they swing early, man. It's baseball. You still got to get guys out. Uh, and, yeah, I feel like I was able to get to all my pitches pretty well. Um, Jansen did a really good job calling pitches back there. We had a pretty good flow going, and he he, he kind of got to all my pitches without even me getting there. Call cutter first pitch, change up. He had a very good, very good mix of pitches. So, um, for the most part, I shook by a couple times here and there, but he, he was great, man, back there, and we, we worked pretty well. Do you view these starts as particularly important for you because you throw six different pitches? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I need I need that time, um, but I've had that time. I, I've been throwing through this whole process too, so it's not like um, some people might wonder, oh, is his arm ready? My arm's beyond ready because I was strong when I couldn't walk. 
and I stayed on top of that. So my arms ready, my knees ready. It's, I'm, I'm ready to be back in that way. Was there any uh, sort of adjustment you made once you got to the big leagues last year? I noticed towards the end of the season you were relying on your sinker even more. Yeah, I found a sinker. I found a completely new pitch, and it did wonders for me. Um, I was never a sinker guy. I was always a four-seam slider. I'd go five innings, punch out 13 or something like that, but I would never be able to get deep in the game because I didn't have that, that early contact pitch or the pitch to get ground balls. And just toying around with grips. Um, All-star break last year, found a grip, put him in the game, and it was great, man. My ground ball percentage went way up and allowed me to go deeper in the games. I had never done a complete game in my life before the big leagues, before that pitch. In September, you were throwing 40% of the time, and the ground ball rate was 58%. Mm -hmm. um, so do you sort of view that as your most important pitch to sink? 100%, yeah, 100%. My most important and my newest pitch. So uh, I feel like I had a really good feel for it, really good command of it to both sides of the plate, and just looking forward to putting in games. And there is Marcus Stroman pitching with the Lansing Lugnuts today. And while that was playing, Charlie grabbed Dunedin Blue Jays pitcher Shane Dawson. I think we have him on the line now. Charlie, take it away. So we're joined here by Shane Dawson. We were we were just on the phone with uh, Jesse Goldberg Strasser talking about uh, Marcus Stroman's start in Lansing tonight. And I want to. It's one of the first questions because we were talking about the the Lugs playoff chances upcoming, and you had tweeted out at the time when you guys won the first half flag. I don't remember the exact words of the tweet, but it was along the lines of "So happy to be a part of such a great team. Everybody works for each other." You're obviously not a part of the team now. Can I? Am I assuming correctly that you'd rather be in Dunedin and and progressing with your career than than with the Lugnuts and 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 fighting for the playoffs or? Do you, do you kind of miss the fact that, you know, you, you were there, you were a part of it, and now you won't be able, be able to uh, see the end goal? Uh, that's a pretty tough question to start me off with there, Charlie, <laughs> but uh, I'll do my best to answer well, it. Well, was it. A, we sank into <laughs> it somehow. <laughs> um, you know, obviously I want to be part of a playoff run. Obviously I want to win a ring, but uh, the end goal is making it to the big leagues, not so much winning minor league rings. Um, you know, I wish I could be there with them and try to win the championship, but in the end, I feel like being in Dunedin is better um, uh, better for my chances to making it to the big leagues, proving that I can face a higher level of competition. Now, it, Dunedin's a, it's a funny one for us, you know, coming from Vancouver, and you obviously here during the playoff run, you saw, you know, 5,000 fans every night, and then mm -hmm. Lansing, I think, you know, they get a fair amount, not maybe not as much as that, and then you, you show up in Dunedin, and I think I tweeted you after one game that, must be fun with 600 fans, which was the official attendance <laughs> on MILB.com. Might be a, a bit you, of a stretch. You came back with more like 60. Like, <laughs> what's it like pitching in Florida? You know, you're in, it's probably 100 degrees and 95% humidity, and, and you're pitching in front of, you know, the odd family and friend, and I'm sure a few scouts. You know, what's it like after being in these last two stops? Um, well, you know, it's not anything I'm not used to. You know, growing up in Alberta, playing in front of literally mom, dad, and sister. <laughs> uh, but the hardest thing with, uh, with Dunedin is just the weather, uh, finding ways to stay cool and stay dry and stay hydrated. Um, and I struggled with that my first couple starts, but after that I've, uh, I think I figured out how to deal with um, the Florida humidity and Florida heat, and I think it's shown through my games, the past couple games here. Now your last one... Uh, it was fantastic. Your best start of the season. Um, for those who don't, don't know, it was part of a doubleheader. So it was a seven-inning game, and you went all seven, giving up one hit. What, I mean, 
it, it's been a funny season for you, hasn't it? This, I mean, let's the positives obviously is that you stayed on the field. You've doubled your innings innings total from last season, um, and that's not even. And we'll talk about this in a second. The Pan Am Games, but what's been the biggest positive for you this season? Um, the biggest positive for me has just been staying on the field this year. Um, you know, I feel like I can do a lot of a lot of good things on the baseball diamond when I'm on there, but that's been the biggest issue in my career. So I feel like I've opened some eyes with uh, being able to stay on the field and then um, posting the numbers that I have been because of my health. And has there been any differences? I mean, I, I got into a bit of a, a Twitter fight with some other people that have seen you or, or listened to you on the radio this year <laughs> saying your, your velocity is not where it was maybe in Vancouver. Have you noticed that since you've had the shoulder issues or... Do you think you're you're there thereabouts and and I don't even know what I'm trying to say here about the same that you were here <laughs> stuff wise? Um, I don't think my velo is that much off. Um, I think in Vancouver I hit 93 once and it was my first start, so we can just notch that up to adrenaline. But uh, right. I've been usually getting up to 90, 91 every game, and um, I feel like my secondary offerings are tenfold what they were in Vancouver, and I feel like um, especially in my last start, my fastball command has been. Um, has been the thing that separated me from those lower levels uh, uh-huh. from previous years for myself, especially last year. Um, last year I struggled with command, and uh, this year I've kind of um, found myself within the strike zone a lot more, and it's been it's been easier to pitch that way. Now moving on, you uh, you had the Pan Am experience, mm-hmm. which. Must have been. We tried to get you on before then, but then of course I flew away to England and ruined everything. Ruined everything. Um, <laughs> I mean, so we didn't get to talk. I, I actually, when Tom came here for his his one start here in Vancouver, I mentioned if he was jealous of you guys, and he obviously was because not only did you get to play in 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 the tournament, but the the finish of it was so incredible that it must have been an amazing an amazing feeling in front and, of a home crowd too. In front that of a home was... crowd to is this your first time? I mean, rather than the JNT. Is this your first time pulling on a senior national jersey? This is my first time putting on a Team Canada jersey ever. I never played on the junior national team. Wow. There you go. Way to, way to do your research, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I did do, I told Greg that the Pan Am website didn't have individual stats, so I had to go through every box score. So correct me <laughs> if I'm wrong. You, you threw an inning against Nicaragua with a, with a walk and two strikeouts, and then five and a third against the States. Again, shut out, two hits, three strikeouts. For six and a third, mm-hmm. two hits, one walk, five strikeouts. So pretty, pretty damn good, really. Um, I was happy with how I pitched. Yeah. Now, what, what was I was I was looking through the other roster players, and first of all, being a guy from Langley, there seemed to be quite the Langley contingent on the team. <laughs> um, but it was a, it was a really odd mix. You had some young guys. I think you were one of the younger ones. Well, Jeff Francis, another a Jay that just got called up for the September call-ups. But but what I'm saying is that you had like Tyler O'Neill, yep. who's 20, Shane, you know Jesse Hodges is yep. 21, and then you had these guys like Scott Richmond and 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 Jeff and and Andrew Albers that were on the other side of their career. So what what was the dynamic like on the team? Pete Orr, of course, who's who's been Mr. Canada. <laughs> um, it was unbelievable, really. Uh, all those guys still have young personalities and um, try to go out and play the game with a lot of fun, and that was that was one thing that. Um, really stood out to me was how much these guys wanted to win, but how they did it with like the uh, the feeling of no pressure and you know they don't let bad at bats get to them, they don't let errors get to them. You know they they it was a mix of wanting to win and 
um, and just wanting to have fun at the same time. It was a lot like a college atmosphere, and uh, it was it was really good for the younger guys. I feel like watching how the uh, a lot of the former big leaguers handled themselves on the field and in those situations. I feel like it kind of rubbed off on all the other guys who've never had that opportunity to play on the big stage like that. Now the way it ended, the final game. Have you ever seen a ball game end that way before? Because <laughs> I don't think many of us have. <laughs> uh, maybe when I was like six or seven. But, uh, <laughs> no, I don't think I've ever seen a seen a snowball fight like that with double AA, A, triple A guys before. Um, it was a roller coaster of emotions, you know, being down by one with, I think, one out left. Um, you never know what's going to happen, so you're you're really really nervous, and then you see them try to backdoor pick Pete Orr, who's a 10 plus year professional baseball veteran. And, you know, everyone is thinking, why would you try to pick him off? You yeah. know, that's the, that's one of the guys you don't try to pick off in that situation. And, you know, they airmailed it and <laughs> the rest is history, I guess. Plus he's not really the, the speed threat that he probably once was when he was beginning that 10 year MLB pro career. But. Yeah, no, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> but then it was, it was another interesting just sort of feel because of the international rules, the way they did the, extra innings adding the the runner on the base and is this two runners isn't was it was first it and second oh, no, i don't know yeah first and second wow now. yeah that's that must have added another complete other feel to it because really you're not going to see another game end like that because they don't play that way in in any other league no it was uh it was fun to be a part of regardless of whether we uh won that game or lost that game i would have walked away a better baseball player and a better person just because the people i was surrounded with and just so happened that we won gold so Something I get to brag about a little more than a silver silver medal. And I mean, we were talking about this a bit over Twitter. Um, with the 126 innings you've thrown thus far this season, add in those, you know, six whatever in the Pan Am. This is far and away your most. Um, we got we got tweeted out today the uh, the rosters for the AFL, the the Salt River Rafters, who the Blue Jays use in the AFL, and you're mm-hmm. not on it. Um, is it a case of, I mean, do you think you could still pitch a bit more, or are they? do you think they're shutting you down just because it's such an inning jump from the year before and, and want to get you some rest and, and rehab? Um, that's tough to say, you know, because I haven't really talked to them about uh, what the situation would be with the Arizona Fall League, whether my name was in the talks or not. Um, you know, I wanted to go. I felt like... Um, it would have been a good stage to once again showcase my skill level against better players, but uh, I understand if it's a, an innings limit thing. I understand that 100%, you know, and uh, if that's the case, I just got to come next year and prove again what I can do on the field. And with with all the trades, I mean, your your main goal is, is the major leagues, and so I'm guessing you look at these trades as, as a way that, you know, there's competition. We'll look at it brutally. There's competition out of out of the way, you know, and, mm-hmm. and potentially next year New Hampshire has got to be a goal to start the season. Is that is that how you look at it? Um, as of right now, I'm looking at just maybe finishing my last start if I have one. But uh, obviously, New Hampshire is where I'd want to start. Um, you know, I'd figure they would start me in high A. But uh, yeah, I'd love to start in double A and make things a lot easier for me to climb up to the big leagues and what um I, I think i've asked you this before when when we did an interview you weren't really a fan of teams growing up it was more players i think you mentioned pedro martinez which seems yeah. odd for a lefty like yourself um, it's hard not to like pedro well Come true on. yeah exactly <laughs> um 
what I mean when it, when all these trades went down and you know the Blue Jays are now thirty one and eleven since the All Star break. Is it do you as a minor leaguer of, of of that particular team? Do you get caught up in it a bit? Like do you do you watch some of the games and cheer for them or it's still just grinding? You're you're you got your head down doing what you want to do. Um. Well, you know, being in this organization with how everything is going and also being a fellow Canadian with how everything is going, it's hard not to pay attention and kind of have an ear ear to the wall listening to everything that's going on. But, uh, you know, it's really exciting to be a part of this team um, with how everything is going up up top. You know, it just uh, it's just an exciting time to be a Blue Jay. I don't really know how to how to describe it. You know, hopefully they can do the same thing next year and I just get to be a part of it. It's always nice when there's that winning you know, culture coming down from the top from the team. I'm sure that rather than having a team that's losing every year, I'm, you know, even if it's not the team that you're specifically playing for, it's always a good vibe, I guess, going throughout the organization, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, guys up there want to win, and it kind of trickles down on on the guys below because uh, you know they want to go up there and win too. So they kind of gotta condition themselves to have the right mindset. Yeah. And like you say, it's it's you know, for Greg and I are both fans of the Jays. It's hard not to to be having a lot of fun right now. So I'm sure it's the same, slightly different way for you guys. So I, I know it's getting late out there. We'll, we'll let you go. What's, if if there's no AFL or uh, Aussie, the Australian League, like Anthony Alford did last year, what <laughs> what would be the off-season, off-season plan for you? Are you back to Alberta to work out or will you stay in Florida for a while? What's, what's, what'll be on the agenda? I'm probably just gonna go home, see the family and grind through that all. That brutal Alberta winter. <laughs> Where do you train when you go home? Do you go back to college? Uh, no, not anymore. I'll be uh, I'll be in Edmonton. There's a baseball academy called St. Francis Xavier. Um, that's in Edmonton, so I'll probably work out there with the high school kids. Okay. Yeah. Stay out of the the freezing cold. Get your work. Yeah, in. as much as I can, really. <laughs> holy. Are you a, are you a hockey fan at all? I'm guessing you are, being Canadian. Um, being in Edmonton might not, not be such Canadian. a bad thing. Yeah, no, maybe I'll run into uh, into Connor McDavid and buy <laughs> a beer or something. Maybe you guys can you can ask me if you can stay with those guys or something like that. <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't be too bad. <laughs> no. Um, I'm sure some of them are, are Jays fans on the team. I mean, yeah, but probably not uh, Dunedin Jays fans. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know if you see the DJ's hat is fairly similar. <laughs> Yeah. Do you get to maybe keep, we'll see. Do you keep all your stuff? I was gonna. I, I, was, I don't know why I thought about that on the way out here. But do you keep all? Have you got all your Lansing Lugnets gear? Like do you do you keep it all for you know one day when you're older to show people, or is it just another baseball hat? And um, depends really. My dad wants all the stuff, so I kind of got to bring him back <laughs> everything. But for me, uh, I already got my hats. I got my Team Canada hat that I'll wear. So the rest is just souvenirs for. Senior there. <laughs> nice. I bet you get your Team Canada duffel bag as well, so that's not so bad. Yeah, no. <laughs> I got uh, got decked out with Team Canada gear, so that's awesome. I'm not doing too bad. That's that's pretty <laughs> awesome, yeah. Um, I did have one more question, but it's it's eluding me. Oh, no, well, like you said, your last start, I think I, I my very rudimentary math, I, I think you, your turn is due up on Sunday, which is the last game of the season, I believe. So if it is, good luck. Hopefully it's uh, it's another strong start like the last one and uh, have a great offseason. Hopefully we can catch up uh, when you're in Edmonton in the cold. Sounds good. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks a lot, Shane, for coming on. Yeah, no problem. Thank you, guys. Our guest, Shane Dawson of the Dunedin Blue Jays. Thanks for him have, coming on. And also Jesse Goldberg-Strassler. We had him on a little bit earlier. 
voice of the Lansing Lugnuts. Appreciate both those guys coming on for a triumphant return of the Orvan Seas podcast. Yeah, now, we kind of we kind of cut our Jays talk a bit short, but for those two guests, it was well worth it. I'm sure. Uh, yeah. I say this. I'm not writing it down in pen that uh, we'll get another podcast knocked out next week. Uh, and hopefully by then, uh, what the Jays have tomorrow off, and then the the hated but free falling Baltimore Orioles in town for what is I believe the the last three games of this homestand, and then that this is the penultimate one, isn't it? Yeah. Get your tickets if they're not sold out already. You're in Toronto. I think they're they're sold out pretty much for the rest of the season. It's some tonight, but but didn't they get they get snapped up when they put them on? I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, I mean the atmosphere in the stadium looks fantastic. The atmosphere on TV is. You know, aside from Buck and Tabby, is is fantastic. Um, the only time I remember being in a at, at the dome when it's like that was either Canada Day, when it's a day game and it's sort of lighter atmosphere. But the only time it's been intense was the return of AJ Burnett. I remember that game was pretty close to a sellout, and that was the only time I can remember being at the dome and having it that loud, or what seems to be that loud based on what I've heard on TV, and. It's been a long time. <laughs> Doesn't happen very often, and I'm super glad to to see the dome practically full every night with fans that are going nuts. You know, may, say what you want about bandwagoners or whatever. I don't really care if there's butts in those seats and they're cheering for the Blue Jays. Yeah, that's all I care about, and it's fantastic to see and it's fantastic to hear. The noise is louder than any other stadium. Must be the the dome or the concrete or something that keeps that sound in. Because on TV, it sounds like one of the loudest stadiums in the league. And I can't imagine what it's going to be like in the playoffs. Uh, it, it it can only get better. What was what was it the other night? I was in a bar, um, and so they, they didn't have the sound on. They had this bar in Vancouver. <laughs> they have had the sound on occasionally, but they mm-hmm. didn't have it on this night. And it was the night that uh, Asuna closed the game when he threw three straight balls and then threw three, nine straight strikes yep. to strike out the side. Uh, but I was taping the game as well, so I went home and listened to it again with, with Buck and Tabby. And, I mean, Buck for the first time in his career with the Blue Jays, just shut up for the last three <laughs> pitches and just let the crowd take it home. Yeah. And it was just unreal. You could hear it through the TV. It was just well, exploding. You know, there's a, there's a guy on Twitter named James and T.O. He's actually been posting park audio of a lot of the big moments. And he did that moment as well. He just took the park audio. He's putting it up on SoundCloud. So if you if you look him oh, okay. up on Twitter, James and T.O., he's a good one to follow because he, he'll give you... And sometimes he'll do the rate. He'll throw in Jerry's call of, you know, the go-ins yeah. walk-off or... So he's he'd be a good one to to follow down the stretch because he, yeah, that was that was Some pretty incredible. Oh, it was that it was, was amazing. The only thing I can think of here, you know, Vancouver that we could relate to it was 2010 when someone was recording the Rogers Center or whatever it's called now, Rogers Arena, Rogers Arena from one of the bridges that's a good couple kilometers away. And when Sidney Crosby scored, the you I mean the whole arena just blew up. Well, there were people around the yeah, arena watching. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it was just a massive uproar, and yeah. I think. You know, f- similar to what the Raptors were doing, you know, with the We the North and and I don't know whereabouts in Toronto they were, but they had that square with the big screens. Yeah, you have to think the Blue Jays are going to do something oh, similar. So that'd be amazing. You know, it's going to be it's Maple Leaf Square or whatever. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like you said, we don't really want to get ahead of ourselves. Like when we had you in on a podcast early in the year and. I asked him, can we get ahead of ourselves and, and already give this a win for the Donaldson trade <laughs> for the Blue Jays? And he's like, fuck yeah. <laughs> and you know what? Yeah. <laughs> hey, let's, Laurie let's homered twice it. tonight. Did he? Yeah, he's got six in his last, or four in his last six games or something, I, I read. 
Hey, so. I, I don't wish any ill will to, to Brett Laurie, but Josh Donaldson plays for the Blue Jays. I think uh, going back to the, the crowd noise, I remember watching a, like a little documentary on the Blue Jays' 93 World Series, the walk-off, Joe Carter, and I want to say it was Lenny Dykstra they were talking to. Um, they talked to a bunch of the Phillies. They talked to Jim Fergosi and, and a bunch of the guys, and I want to say it was Dykstra that said when Joe Carter hit that ball out, it was the the loudest noise he's ever heard or uh, ever heard in his entire life up to that point and after that point he had never heard a noise he's you know louder than a, a jumbo jet he said yeah so and that well, was you know back in the days where the jays were big but you know well no i think in, it might in even those be louder days now that they sold <laughs> 4 million tickets a year yeah. they were i mean they were big they were but, big yeah like i i saw on twitter the other day steve simmons who i think is one of the reporters on tsm and is a bit of a jays troll was being a dickhead <laughs> saying that oh for a sold-out stadium, there sure are a lot of empty seats. But then, of course, you know, you look at the bar, the center field bar, and it's packed. I mean... Those aren't tickets that those are aren't, sold. Well, yeah. that's the thing. Well, I'll get to that. I mean, but it's the same for me in Seattle, me and my buddy. We bought tickets for the Felix Hernandez start, and we sat in our seats. Obviously, we had to buy tickets for the... But we have no idea where our seats were on the Saturday Sunday. We sat in Edgar... Sat, stood in Edgar Martinez's porch. It's the best place to watch when you're yeah. on a bit of a bender, having a, having some beers. And that's what those people do. I mean, those center field bars or whatever it's called, the flight deck, I think, in the in the Rogers Center is packed. Yeah. But for the playoffs, apparently they're selling tickets for that, standing room only. There you go. So I would buy those. I'd snatch yeah, those so up. So if you're looking at forty six thousand, <laughs> you know, seats, add in another however many couple of hundred and, and what what else? I'm sure they're gonna try and cram seating in in any which way they can. Bring your so earmuffs for your children. I think the uh, <laughs> the atmosphere is gonna be Absolutely incredible. I'd love to go, and I'd love to fly back to Toronto and, and go, but, you know, all, all the years where I endured Jesse Litch starts and, you know, <laughs> I, I can't even run through, you know, Victor Zambrano starts for whatever brief period he was with the Jays. It's <laughs> like, I think somebody tweeted, if, if you have a pay, if you have a stub from a Jesse Litch start, you get to go to the front of the line to buy playoff tickets. Oh, what they said. I feel bad for poor Jesse. What he blew up he's his shoulder to, and he yeah. never pitched again. He's it was a bad Brad example. Mills that I had to watch in Seattle <laughs> a couple of years ago, which was the last, I think, the last major league appearance he ever made. That being said, thankfully, like just over the years of what Jays fans have had to endure, I know we're, you know, I'm crying as a as a Jays fan here, but uh, it's been a long time. Yeah, and you know, personally, when I say like, I haven't seen, I've never been excited for a Jays game late in the year. I've watched, you know, years and years of Blue Jays baseball, and there's never been a moment like this. So, which is the point that I try and convey to my wife, yeah. you know, every night. Like I want to get all sappy here, but yeah. you know, there's teams that you watch hockey, and, and eight teams per conference make the playoffs. It's not right. like that in baseball. You don't it doesn't happen, and and the Jays haven't made the playoffs since '93, and it's just it's like I said, I'm, I'm going to be so nervous, and I have no idea how I'm going to react because I've never had to go through it as a sports fan. I've never been, you know, obviously I get nervous when I watch hockey, but I I don't have the same feeling about any other team that I do about the Blue Jays. So it's going to be, yeah. you know, I apologize to anyone who follows me on Twitter because it's going to be a, a <laughs> bit of a, a joke, I think, if something big happens. But, yeah. I, I and think, if I'm a couple uh, beers deep. Well, well I think that's going <laughs> to be a given. And hopefully the, the bar I mentioned earlier will, uh, and I think there's going to be a few bars around Vancouver that will, I mean, I know we'll be, you know, pushing into Canuck season, but still, I, I, I think, yeah, exactly. I don't, you know, I don't even, 
I, I literally have no clue what, what's going on with the Canucks right now. I know they I'll made a party bunch of moves. party in my house. If no bars going to do it, we can we can yeah. drink in my place. So I, I think bars will do it here, <laughs> and I think it's going to be a great atmosphere here because, I mean, you go to the Canadians games, and most of those people are Blue Jays fans. You're seeing so much Blue Jays well, Seattle nowadays. You, it's 90% no, Jays fans. That Seattle series was incredible. Just looking out over the sea of, of Blue jerseys was amazing. Yeah. So, And then, even, I mean, look at... You know, where Texas had a ton of Jays fans, you know, well, Seattle, we were... Anaheim, more people from BC and, and yeah. you know, the Western provinces were, were down in Anaheim. It's, I mean, yeah, it's Disneyland. It's a great place to vacation anyways, but still mm-hmm. they, they took the time out to go to the Jays. So when we were in Seattle, the, the Felix Hernandez start, there was more people chanting for K when Estrada was on the mound than when Felix Hernandez was on the mound. Estrada, <laughs> we didn't Estrada. even talk about Estrada. How did I miss him out when we were talking about the playoff rotation oh my god what do you do with him he's got to start he's been their best pitcher well not sorry not their best pitcher but one of their best pitchers since the second half what a revelation what a trade that was adam lynn for uh marco estrada could use lynn right now instead of smoke ah smoke is great defensively i don't i you know what i haven't looked at adam lynn's stats for for so long i know he got off to a good start i think he's been all right i think smoke and colabello have been great and i (laughs) You know, I think Smokabello. I think it's going to be tough. You know, I know uh, when it comes to, you know, I know Smoke's only under contract for this year, and this is a whole other podcast. We'll get you and on to talk about what they do because I know he's a big cola believer, as he calls it. <laughs> um, you know what? What? Yes. What do you do with with Edwin when his contract uh, is up after the, uh, the end of next year? So that's but, another thing I like about this team. There's there's no real pressing issues in terms of contracts. No, I mean, and that's why I love people on Twitter saying to shut the f up about signing David Price. Who cares about signing David Price right now? Let's ride him till the end of the season. Edge him till his arm falls off, and flags fly forever. <laughs> you know, after after the parade, then you can turn your attention to whether they <laughs> sign David Price or or lock up and Bautista and Encarnacion. Marcus Stroman could be coming back in that rotation. It's well, and you heard what Jesse said tonight, and that only reiterates what, what we've heard on Twitter from, I've, I've, I follow someone that was there, um, he said the same things, you know, you got some of the Sportsnet guys that were there saying the same thing, so, yeah, again, it's A-ball, but, you know, this guy is, is he's an absolute stud. Flip side, if he looked poor in A-ball, we'd be freaking out. Well, yeah, when he came so, to Vancouver, he didn't look all that good. That's can't what, not get excited when he pitches well against these no, guys. exactly. Even if it is expected. And all you can hope for is that he comes through his AAA start unscathed and, and he's healthy and, and ready to go because he, it's such a a momentous thing for him to come back from this on his on his land leg to come back from an ACL tear um, in whatever it's been five months or whatever. There's no there's no precedent. I know who was it. Uh, Doctor Andrews saw and he was there. Were, no, but there was another was, pitcher that came back within five months. I'm, his name. Doctor Andrews always, looked at it and he said he's never seen anyone. Yeah, he's never seen anything. But you, you got to remember, he trained harder than ninety nine percent of the people that have been recovering from that injury, and he's a kid. And he's twenty four exactly. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, hopefully he comes through unscathed because you know if there's any sort of setback whatsoever, the Blue Jays are gonna are gonna treat him with 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 kid gloves. So he looked all right. All right, he looked great. <laughs> Health wise, he looked all right. Yeah. He looked fine. Yeah. I wonder if he was wearing that, that bra during the start underneath his jersey. A bra? Did, well, no. Didn't you see his... Wait, so where did you read that? <laughs> he, no, he had a workout that he put on Twitter, and he was wearing this... I mean, it, it looked exactly like a bra, but it, it's this technology it that... It, it, so I'm, I read an article on it today, and I, I skimmed it, but basically it, it 
it basically it's it's kind of keeping track of everything he's doing. So it it tells the people, his medical oh. staff, whether to they can ramp it up or whether they need to slow him down. But it, maybe it looks exactly like a sports bra. So it's, maybe like, uh, it's the first thing you're going to say. Like, what? Why is he wearing a sports bra? That's weird. I thought maybe you were reading some Marcus Stroman fan fiction or something about him wearing a bra. No. But no. No, it's an actual thing. It's an actual okay. thing. Uh, I can't remember the name. Boomer. No, Boomer. Ah, who cares? But it, it tracks his It tracks movement. everything he's okay. doing. Um, That's cool. You know, and, and gives them, you know, up. up and w- which is great. You know, it, it shows because I've questioned the Blue Jays kind of use of advanced sort of not statistical analysis but you know bio biomechanical analysis mm-hmm. which it seems like obviously and maybe it was the duke medical staff that suggested i don't know i actually no, so that's that's untrue the article i read said that he was using it in spring training as well so anything anything to get this kid back on the field <laughs> because he is awesome well hopefully by the next time we have a podcast we'll be closer to finding out when exactly he'll be starting or in the Jays lineup, wherever he goes, and hopefully that's soon, because uh, you want to do another podcast very shortly. Absolutely. But, uh, appreciate you coming all the way down to, to do this, and again, thanks to our guests, Jesse Goldberg-Strassler and Shane Dawson. Uh, yeah. I thought it was a good discussion, and, and lots to cover in our two-month absence, but yeah. I think we did well. We did all right. <laughs> um, we didn't talk about the C's at all, but... Isn't much to talk about. Not really. much to talk about, unfortunately, this season. But luckily for us, the uh, the one year the seas are are a bit down, the uh, the Jays are massively up. So. Still fun. I've still been to a bunch of the seas games this year. It's still a fun place to go. You got uh, yeah, one. The, the, the park, the, the atmosphere in the park is second to none. And one series left, and that's the end of the year. It doesn't look like playoffs are a possibility. No, well, They're on we the can, outside looking in. If they lose tonight, then it's done. Well, we, can but, do, we can do a quick live update if you want. Let's, Let's do it. Check it out. <laughs> Let's do it. And then uh, I'll mention zero, zero. the series, the uh, final series of the season is, of course, against the Everett Akasocks, who are the uh, affiliate of the Seattle Mariners. And I tweeted their radio play-by-play guy, who is not as responsive as the Lansing Lugnuts. Great. Well, not Jesse everyone Goldberg can be Jesse. Um, asking him if there's any chance we'd see either Jake Brents and or uh, Nick Wells, the two, two uh, Bluefield kids traded for a uh, uh, name. Line, line, give me a line. Who is the Mark Lowe? Sorry, Mark Lowe. Oh, to Seattle, yeah. To Seattle for Mark Lowe. So, uh, yeah, it, it's it's funny. I'm gonna I'm taking the family on Saturday, and I'll be more interested. They've got two kids, two uh, shortstop prospect, uh, and uh, an outfielder, both with the last name Jackson, who are <laughs> fabulous players. And then are hopefully we get to see either uh, no, <laughs> either Wells or Brents as well, or or both. So uh, well, the C's basically have to win out the rest of their schedule, five games. And well, even even then, if if Everett wins tonight, I think they're done. So yeah, so the Let's zero zero done. zero, and they're playing Tri City. I think that's the second to last game of that series. Yeah, and then, and they're, then home they're back the on three. the weekend. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, let's do this again soon, Greg. All right, Charlie. I look forward to it, and we look forward to talking to you again next time on the Your Van Seas podcast. <laughs>